0: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Lindsay Elmore. Dr. Elmore is a board-certified pharmacist with an extensive background in academic pharmacy, where she founded residency programs and was a visiting scholar at the University of Zambia School of Medicine, where she trained the continent's first clinical pharmacist, which I just thought was so cool. She is currently a candidate for a diplomat in pharmacy law and hosts the Lindsay Elmore Show, a podcast nearing 1 million downloads, where she interviews thought leaders at the intersection of pharmacy, law, journalism, and democracy. She is also the author of two books, Clean Slate Cleanse Cookbook and Bountiful. On today's episode, we discuss the microbiome as it pertains to multiple sclerosis Actions you can take to improve your microbiome and how to heal your gut best when you have MS.
1: The big question is how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence? The list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley physical therapist, and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in.
0: Lindsay, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so excited for our discussion today. I am too. I think it's such an important topic that a lot of people have heard about, but don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for all of our listeners to have a better grasp on even just things like what is the microbiome? How does it play a role in our lives? So I'm excited to dive into those. But before I do, is it okay if I ask you a question from my interview deck? Would love it. I love a random question. Awesome. Okay. I'm just going to shuffle. Your question is, Have you ever had a roommate? And if so, what did you hate about it?
2: Okay. So yes, I am terrible at living with other people. I learned that fairly early on. So I have had two roommates. The first was my freshman year in college. And the thing I disliked about her was that she had a violent boyfriend. And so that was an issue. And then my second roommate that I had when I was in pharmacy school, she and I were best, best friends. And then it just became too much. You know, it was too much being around each other, too much in each other's lives, too much working together. And so we kind of split for a while after that. And then we reconciled years later and we're just like, we were, you know, we were young, we were in dark headspaces, and let's just move on and resume what is what we did actually love about each other. One other thing that I have disliked about roommates is when you disagree about temperature in the house. And so, which I think is a big thing, even in marriages and relationships too. Like if you disagree about the temperature that you want it in the house, it can be a really big deal. So, that was my least favorite things about having roommates.
0: I love that. Yeah, I've had so many roommates. And I've actually had quite a few roommates that I met on Craigslist. Okay. Which sounds super sketchy. And I feel like lots of people warn you against that. Right. But I don't know. I think in the moment, it was just an easy way to get roommates. And fortunately, they were always really great people that ended up working out well. But it could have gone either way.
2: <laughs> well, I remember when I moved to San Francisco, Craigslist was like a big thing at that point in in time. And so, yeah, I looked all over Craigslist and, you know, and <laughs> Craigslist is such a unique place because the advertisements can be written any way that you want. And so you would come across things that were absolutely hilarious. And I think, I think it's a great example of when you actually state what you're looking for in whatever, you know, be it on a dating app or be it on an advertisement for a roommate, whatever, when you actually say, this is what I'm looking for, it will attract that person.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And just getting clear on that as well Mm -hmm. in the first place. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part
0: of all of it. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for playing along. So let's start with one of my favorite questions. I like to start basic and we can kind of build from there. So what is the microbiome? And in the MS world, as well as many worlds of diseases, microbiome is getting a lot of attention over the last few years. So what is it and why is it important? Why is it being discussed so frequently?
2: So, the microbiome is a collection of microbes. And many people think it's only bacteria, but it's bacteria, it's fungus, it's virus, it's all of their genetic material that live on us and in us. And so, they have multiple different functions in the body. And some of these functions are absolutely critical, which honestly is not surprising considering that we have more microbes than we do human cells in our body. And the microbiome is different for each body site. So for example, you might have more bacteria in your gut that are specific for the metabolism and the breakdown of food. On your skin, you might have more microbes that their genetic material allows them to be better at immune functions. in the oral cavity, you're, you're going to have microbes, some of which may be pathogenic, um, but you're going to have microbes in your mouth that maintain pH, nasal cavities. It's in our hair follicles. It's in our genitalia. The microbiome is very, very different depending on what site in the body it is located at. So when I think about the microbiome, there are three primary functions the first is metabolic, and then there are protective functions and trophic functions. So the metabolic functions are of the microbiome is to metabolize food, to extract energy from indigestible sugars. It ferments carbohydrates, it ferments fibers, and it can produce what are called postbiotics, which are short-chain fatty acids, amino acids. It helps to produce vitamins. It helps to produce all kinds of neurotransmitters. And this is kind of where the secret sauce, where like the actual action of the microbiome comes into play is when we have these postbiotics that then can be distributed all throughout the body. The microbes also metabolize our bile salts, which can help with our cholesterol. Balance and overall, what we eat really governs the types of microbes that we have in our gut. So, depending on how much fiber is in your diet, how much meat is in your diet, it's going to skew your microbiome towards digesting those materials. And so, and that can produce postbiotics which are either highly beneficial for our health or detrimental to our health. The second function is this protective function. And this is where the microbiome informs our immune system and creates all different kinds of protective functions that that work with our immune function. The first thing that we have is called the barrier strategy. So Good healthy microbes live on different areas in our body and they simply crowd out the bad bacteria. They just they they just say, no, you can't hang around here. So by this way, they create this barrier that says no, bad bacteria keep keep moving. They also starve the enemy. So our good healthy microbes feed on nutrients. And when we are feeding our our gut, what it really wants to eat, it takes up all the energy and there's no additional food for the bad bacteria. Another thing that it does that helps to starve the enemy is bacteria can actually signal to stop producing certain nutrients that are critical for the proliferation of bad bacteria. So it eats all the food and then says, no, I'm also going to deprive you of certain nutrients, which bad bacteria will then die off. The third protective function that it has is called the mucus strategy. And this is where when we have good, healthy mucus, It covers the the lining of the gut. And depending on how thick the mucus is, this denies access to the bloodstream for our bad bacteria as well as inflammatory molecules. It's basically one of the ways that we can help to seal up the leaky gut. Leaky gut is not a mucus problem. It's a cellular problem where these tight junctions come apart but if we coat the even if the gut is leaky if we coat it with mucus it's another way that we prevent bad bacteria and inflammatory molecules and really the biggest problem with leaky gut is the proallergenic proteins that cross over into the bloodstream which can cause all kinds of allergic reactions, autoimmune conditions, inflammatory conditions, et cetera. So the fourth protective function is that a healthy microbiome will actually produce bactericides. So it will literally produce the human equivalent of an antibiotic which will target the bad bacteria. So we also have just a ton of ways that the microbiome in ways that do not relate to the gut immune axis protect us. Where we start getting into what makes the microbiome so special is the trophic functions. So the gut bacteria actually talk to the cells that are in the lining of the gut. And by interacting with these cells, the microbiome influences the growth and can cause so many changes throughout the body. The microbiome's interaction with the lining of the gut can actually turn genes on and off it can cause changes in the way that we metabolize and where we where we store fat it can strengthen the gut barrier in by communicating with those cells it also has a major role in what is known as the the gut brain axis and you can really go a step further and call it the microbiota gut brain axis. And so the gut microbes directly impact our brain function and the brain function directly impacts our microbiome. The gut modulates our response to stress. It governs our mood, our behavior. It governs food cravings, circadian rhythms. And this also is what makes the microbiome so critically important for brain development really early in life. So the microbiome directly talks to our brain because in embryonic development the gut and the brain are connected and as the as the embryo grows they split but they maintain this connection and the connection is physical via the vagus nerve it also is chemical via the communication of our neurotransmitters and it also is it also has connections with the immune system where it, it is able to change our t cell function our b cell function it's able to modulate all of these neurotransmitters which is really where the emerging research in MS is is driving us and so we'll get to that in a moment. So the other things about the trophic functions. Trophic functions also educate and regulate the immune system between birth and age 3. Our microbiome goes through a differentiation and a maturation and this is the time where we're really differentiating friend versus foe in our environment. This is probably one of the reasons that we see that you know, children who go outside more often, who are exposed to pets early on in life, tend to have fewer autoimmune conditions and fewer allergenic um, conditions because they have gone through a greater diversification and maturation of the microbiome early in life. It was once thought that after this age that you can't change the microbiome, that the maturation is terminal. We now know this to be false and that we can alter our microbiome on an ongoing basis. So we also know that the microbiome is responsible for the balance between pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory responses. We talk about inflammation as if it is the worst thing that has ever happened to us. And in some ways, it is. In other ways, we would die without it. We would die without having inflammatory responses. But we need to keep them in balance. And so the microbiome and immune system communication really helps with these pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory signaling, which helps us to not go so far down the rabbit hole that we have these major overreactions with our immune system And also that we are able to mount an immune response, right? If we think about this balance, we want to be somewhere in the middle. We We need to be able to mount an immune response. And also we don't want it to go completely over the edge. And so when we think about MS, we know that there is an important function of serotonin that influences the progression of MS. And we also know that there are major changes that we can make within our diets with probiotic supplementation, with short-chain fatty acid supplementation. And this can be a promising step forward. We certainly need more research, but we know that there is a modulation of serotonin production, which causes the changes in our T-cell and B-cell balance, which can be important for the development and the
0: progression of MS. Wow, that was such a great recap. And I have so many questions that I could potentially ask right now. But one thing that sounds unique to me about the microbiome that is really cool and accessible is that it appears based on what you're saying that this is something that we all have. Some might have more good microbiome versus bad microbiome, but it's something that we all can directly choose certain actions, whether it's what we eat or even perhaps maybe meditation or you know mind calming things where we can affect the microbiome. And mm-hmm. it might not require, I mean, in some cases it might require supplements or pills, but it sounds like we can all just start with specific foods. Is that right? Like what would be the first step for anyone, especially someone with MS to start to build up good microbiome for these positive benefits that you're mentioning?
2: So I'm actually going to take a a bigger step back um, because the microbiome is one piece of the puzzle in how do we have a really healthy gut and good gut function where we're able to have the sealing off and the tightening of all the junctions. This is what in functional medicine is called the 5R protocol. And so we'll we'll focus on the microbiome, but I do want to touch on each of these 5Rs. The first one is to remove gut triggers. And this is where you get rid of pro-inflammatory foods, gluten, sugar, dairy. Maybe if you have like low-grade allergies to um, any of the big eight allergens, you can get those out of the diet. Stimulants like caffeine are also pro-inflammatory in the gut. So we need to remove our gut triggers, okay? Okay. The second thing is to repopulate. So we'll come back to that one in a minute because that's where we're going to focus. And that's where we repopulate our gut using um, not just probiotics, but prebiotics as well. The third thing that we need to do is to replace what's been lost. When the gut is chronically inflamed, it can cause us to not produce vitamins and minerals as a part of that trophic function that the gut has. It also can cause us to waste vitamins and minerals and digestive enzymes and pancreatic enzymes and bile out of the gut. So we get we need to replace all of that that has been lost. We also need to repair the lining of the gut. And when we repair the lining of the gut, we work with Supplements or foods like vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids, the butyrate supplementation is also really, really important. And glutamate um, and glutamine, not glutamate, glutamine supplementation is also very, very important because glutamine is one of the key food sources for our cells, our enterocytes, the cells that line the gut. So we need to do all that. And then the fifth thing is that You have to rebalance your attitude. You have to get to a place where you just go, I'm not going to be stressed. I am going to actively remove stressors from my life and really get to a point where you just kind of go, Oh, look, stress, you know, because we all have it, but we all can react differently to it. We all can choose to go down a rabbit hole of rumination where, you know, it's it's terrible, it's always going to be terrible, and it's my fault that it's terrible. Or you can just say, well, this is just life. This is just an adult, this is an adulting kind of thing. Um. So let's go back to repopulation. Okay, so how do we, sh- sure, we can use supplements. If you're going to use probiotic supplements, do be sure that they're strain-specific. Do be sure that you are using the probiotics that have specific intention behind them. It's not enough to just randomly go and pick out a lactobacillus acidophilus and call it a day, right? Some probiotics, and and this is recent research, um, some probiotics are better at digesting foods. Some probiotics are better at the production of neurotransmitters. Some probiotics are better at increasing GABA signaling. Some probiotics are better at reducing cortisol. So we need to drill down and get really, really specific. And so if you're going to use a probiotic supplement within the realm of multiple sclerosis, we really need to look at our serotonin, right? Because the serotonin is what is decreasing over time. And it's one of the reasons that MS can progress. So if we're looking at like, okay, what probiotics do we have that can help with serotonin production, we need to look at probiotics such as our lactobacillus, ramnosis like the 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 R11 strain which can lower cortisol which can help to produce more of the serotonin lactobacillus helveticus the R0052 strain really important in neuroinflammation and serotonin production so if we're going to use them let's be sure that we're using the right ones for achieving what our intent is Let's talk about some ways that we can do it without supplementation, all right? So the biggest thing is going to be to eat diverse foods. You want as many colors in your diet as you possibly can get. You want as many different phytonutrients in your diet as you can get. You also want to be sure that your diet is not primarily composed of fat and sugar. We really want to be sure that we're getting a lot of different foods. And and so go out on a limb. I, I encourage you, this is Deanne Minich's work. I love her work. If you are not eating 20 different fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, whatever it is, plant material, you have room to potentially improve on the diversity in your gut microbiome and in your diet. So when you think about eating, just think about eating the rainbow, eat as many different colors as you possibly can. We also have an epidemic in this country of being underfed fiber. We must focus on fiber if we want the microbiome to be healthy. The fiber in foods, uh, there's there's a lot of digestible fibers, but there's a lot of indigestible fibers. And these indigestible fibers feed our bacteria in our gut, which helps to stimulate all of their growth. So beans and legumes have great amounts of fiber. Foods like raspberries, artichokes, peas, broccoli, chickpeas, um, bananas, apples all have good fiber in them. And when you eat a diet that's really high in fiber, you can produce more good bacteria, especially bifidobacteria, which is great because bifidobacteria is one of the bacteria that actually goes through the entire gut. It's not just located in one area. It's located throughout the entire tract of the gut. Eating fermented foods is also great. Yogurt, kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, uh, tempeh. These foods really give us a great dose of lactobacilli. They can crowd out pathogenic bacteria like Enterobacteraceae, which is really important because gram negative bacteria like Enterobacteraceae are very rapidly progressing to a post antibiotic era where there's just not going to be any any antibiotics that kill them ever again. And so we also know that people who eat fermented foods also have greater tolerance to things like lactose. Um, we know that, that great, great, good fermented foods in the, in the diet can also help to Crowd out many of those harmful strains of bacteria, and so again, eating fermented foods is just a way that you're going to get more probiotics in the diet. Certainly, eating more prebiotic foods, such as those that contain lots of insulin, or sorry, lots of insulin. I'm sorry, I was about to go into starting talking about um, starting talking about diabetes, but what I'm trying to say is inulin, which is one of the prebiotics that you can get in. Foods that can really help to build our to build our microbiome. These prebiotic foods can help us to reduce insulin. There we go. And they also can help to modulate our triglyceride levels, our cholesterol levels. They can help with the management of weight and body weight. Um, the more prebiotics that we eat, the less likely that we are to be overweight, which when you are overweight, you're at greater risk for heart disease, type 2 diabetes. And so this eating these prebiotic foods can really help with cardiometabolic disease as well. Breastfeeding infants for at least six months is a great way to help build the microbiome as well. Mom will pass good bifidobacterium to our um, infants. So breastfeed as long as you possibly can. You know, it's one of those controversial subjects because whole grains do tend to contain gluten, but whole grains also contain lots of fiber. They contain um, indigestible carbs like beta-glucans. And these carbs are there to help feed our gut bacteria and eating whole grains can really help with bifidobacteria, lactobacilli, as well as bacteroides, and build all of those. So if you are someone who is sensitive to gluten-containing grains, if you shift over to non-gluten-containing grains, you can still get these benefits. Um, eating plant-based is really important. When you eat a uh, predominance of meat, you shift your gut bacteria towards bacteria that produce um, a pro-inflammatory molecule called TMAO. And so eat more vegetables if you can. Eat a diet that's rich in polyphenols. Um, So we've talked about phytonutrients. One subset of phytonutrients are polyphenols. These are found in grape skins, green tea, almonds, blueberries, broccoli. And these can help to... Improve our Bifidobacterium and Lactobacilli. They also reduce the number of Clostridia, which is really important because Clostridium difficile is a very difficult bacteria to get rid of once you've got it. We also see that foods that are rich in polyphenols can also reduce our C reactive protein which is a marker of inflammation. They can lower triglycerides, and they can also help to improve cardiometabolic status as well. So those are many different ways that we can improve the microbiome. Aside from food, going outside, not using hand sanitizer, exposing yourself to pets, not using cleaners in your home that kill ninety nine point nine percent of bacteria, you know, shifting towards more natural cleaning products, not only with surface cleaners but also, you know, with your with your laundry, et cetera. All of those things can inform and diversify and improve your microbiome. And importantly, we share our microbiome with the people who are around us. So the healthier the people that you hang out with, the the healthier you will be as well. And part of the reason for that is because of the sharing of the microbiome.
0: Wow, I feel like you just gave like 50 different ways that we can improve our microbiome. Would you say, if, if someone's listening right now and they're like, whoa, I love all of these, but where do I start? Like, is there one that would be the best place to start if someone's feeling overwhelmed with all of these options anywhere i don't okay. care
2: i mean you know it it i tell people all the time we actually know what we need to do we know <laughs> what we need to do right yeah. we need to go to bed early get up early go outside drink more water exercise relax you know s- surround ourselves with good healthy human interactions get rid of toxic connections eat a little bit healthier, you know, drink a little bit less alcohol, whatever it is, start there. Any step forward is is a great step. And it's more important that you pick something that you can stick to versus saying, I'm going to do everything all at once because it's what I have to do.
0: Yeah, I love that. And so when you mentioned earlier the brain-gut connection, is there are there any brain exercises like meditation or anything that we can do that affect our microbiome since there is that connection or is it mostly as you said the food and then also the healthy connections getting outside all that good stuff
2: There's a couple of things that come to mind the first one is to work on this physical connection with the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is one of the most important nerves in our body. It goes through the whole gut. It goes down the brain and it has so many impacts in our in our body it runs from the brain through the face behind the ears down the thorax and into the abdomen so there's multiple different ways that we can strengthen the function of our vagus nerve and there's different ways that we can stimulate the vagus nerve so vagus nerve vagus nerves can be stimulated by devices that give electrical impulses you also can simply apply pressure or massage down the backs of the ears, which can stimulate the vagus nerve. Some people like to put essential oils um, along the backs of the ears to stimulate the vagus nerve. And this can really help this gut-brain axis. Importantly, all of the food suggestions as well as the probiotic supplementation can also improve this gut-brain axis. We also know that when we have the feeling of safety, our gut-brain axis will improve. So trauma ha- can have a negative impact on our eating habits, on our gut. It can stress can also really impact this this connection. So the more that you can get rid of stress, and the more that we can help children avoid what are known as adverse childhood experiences, we don't think of adverse childhood experiences having an impact on us as adults. And we're wrong about that. Adverse childhood experiences have huge, long-lasting impacts on our bodies. And so we we need to help protect our children from trauma like neglect, witnessing violence, having a family member attempt or die by suicide. We need to ensure that even even smaller things like bullying and witnessing things out in the community can cause adverse childhood experiences. And these adverse childhood experiences actually stick with us for life. So the more that we can do to get back to a sense of safety and security, the stronger our gut-brain axis is going to be. Meditation is also a very, very good way to strengthen the gut-brain axis. If all else has failed, we really do need to look at, is there an active infection going on? Because if there is an active infection, be it a bacterial infection or a viral infection, or even, you know, what the medical community poo-poos is all of these latent infections that just stick around after an infection with Lyme disease or Epstein-Barr virus, or increasingly what we see with COVID. We need to rule out these active viral infections, active bacterial infections, as well as latent infections, which can cause inflammation. They can change our intestinal permeability. They can change the way that We regulate our appetite, and they can just really decrease how educated and smart our gut microbiome is in producing all of the neurotransmitters and um, hormones that that really govern this gut brain axis connection. And so those are some of the ways that I really think we can strengthen that connection. And but really and truly it just comes back. To the basics. What are you eating? Are you stressing all day, every day? And can we pick something that is going to improve our overall health?
0: I love that. And it truly does seem accessible to anyone. Like anyone can do these things. Of course, you have to be able to access healthy foods first and foremost, but it's something that we all can do. We don't need a medi- medication prescription or anything like that. But with that said, do medications change our microbiome at all with MS and many other diseases? There's disease-modifying therapies, but also medications to reduce certain symptoms. When we're taking those, do we need to go above and beyond with our microbiome because they're inhibiting it even further? How does that play a role
2: it's a really big question and it's a really important one because we don't really think about medications that affect the microbiome but there are so many of them so so many of them and so when I think about medications that disrupt the microbiome I I think about kind of big classes of drugs. The first one is antibiotics, okay? That's our classic classic example. So antibiotics are clearly going to disrupt the microbiome because they're 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 bactericidal. So they're going to kill off the microbiome. So that's the most classic example. But also any medication that changes the pH of the gut. So anything like a proton pump inhibitor or an H2RA which are medications like like Zantac and Tagamet that you can get over the counter, the proton pump inhibitors are any of the drugs that end in Prazole. Um, and so we have over the counter medicines like like Nexium, um, and we also have things like Protonix, which is pr- Pantoprazole, and we have Omeprazole, and all of these Prazole drugs. So any medication that alters the pH of the gut is going to have a major impact on the microbiome, even things like Tums will have a major impact on the microbiome. Any medication that causes constipation or diarrhea, so opiates, calcium, laxatives can all have an impact on the function and the microbiome and the way that it's working. Any medication that changes blood homeostasis, aspirin, ibuprofen, blood-thinning medications um, like the enoxaparins and warfarin can change the microbiome. All antidepressants change the microbiome. Um, we can get into, there is research specifically in MS about the use of selective serotonin reuptakes inhibitors like our Prozac's of the world to change the disease progression of MS. It does mean that there will be an effect on the microbiome as well. Statin medications change the microbiome, antihistamines, birth control pills, blood pressure medications like beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and alpha blockers, metformin changes the microbiome. Um, and then there's the list really goes on and on. And those are kind of the big categories that have the biggest impact. And if I really had to pick the absolute biggest offenders of all, it's antibiotics, of course, but most of us aren't on antibiotics all day, every day. The biggest one I think is going to be our, our proton pump inhibitors and acid blocking medicines, which people are not supposed to be on for more than a couple of weeks, and people are on them for 20 years. It's really upsetting. It disrupts The function of not just the microbiome, but the body in
0: general. So if someone listening is taking one or maybe several of those different types of medications, should they just pick some of the ideas that you gave us earlier of how we can repopulate the good microbiome in the gut? Um, Do they need to go above and beyond because they also have this medication going against it? Or would it just be the same general guidelines?
2: My bigger question is what is it in you that is necessitating that medication? Why do you need it? Right. And so I want to take a bigger step back and say, why do you have heartburn? Why do you have high blood pressure? Why do you have high blood sugar? why is this the case for you so really i don't think the discussion is is there a differential approach in people who are on certain medications i think the bigger question is why do you need the medication in the first place and so let's take that bigger step back you know we in in western medicine the approach is, you know, we got to, if water is overflowing, the Western medicine approach is to mop up the water. Let's not do that. Let's turn off the faucet and let's figure out how do we go back to a deeper root cause. And when you think about functional medicine, there are eight root causes of disease, stress, Toxins and intoxicants, allergens and antigens, as well as infections as and dysbiosis. Uh, so the microbiome falls into this category, nutrient excesses and nutrient deficiencies, and then sleep disturbances, sedentaryism, and then sociogenomic. So if you're able to take a big step back and go. I wonder if it's one of those eight things because if it's not one of those eight things it's it's not anything. And so I I want you to take a bigger step back and try to figure out what is it that's necessitating this ongoing medication. You know, it's one thing to need a course of antibiotics because you have an acute infection. It's another thing for us to normalize the American adult being on an average of six medications for years and years and years. So let's take a bigger step back. And then yes, follow about the same advice. If you're on antibiotics, it is a great time to ramp up the number of probiotics, prebiotics that you're taking, but there's no one solution. We just need to look at all of the ways that we can improve our
0: overall health by getting to these eight root causes. I love that. And I love the idea too of taking that step back to assess and analyze why you might need that consistently. Mm -hmm. Because I think so often we just continue the path, not even questioning, oh, do I still need to be taking this? It's just something that was helping. So we just keep going. And then our doctors might too just think, oh, sure, just Just keep going, you know, they might not be reassessing either. So that's so important to remember to just consistently take that step back.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. We do need to take step backs and just go, what's going on? You know, and it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of like searching for the next best thing. It's not searching for the silver bullet. It's actually just taking a step back and going, like, health actually is pretty dang boring. It's a series of mundane choices over and over and over and over again. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, this has been so insightful. I feel like our listeners have 100 different ideas of how we can improve our microbiome. So thank you so much for not only giving us those tips and strategies, but helping us understand the why. I know for me personally, understanding is the key to staying consistent at something. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I love what you just said, because it's one thing to say, you should do this. But it's another thing to say, I could make choice A or choice B because I understand that choice B has this rationale, this logic behind it for why it's so good for me. I'm going to make that better choice.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you again for your time and expertise. I really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.